Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. I don't know if you know this about Andre and I, but we love to have people over and hang out with us. We love it. And we make a big deal of it. I, I like to clean, believe it or not. Um, I like to make... I, I'm the kind of... Per- Sorry. I'm a little OCD. We can't have carpet because I like to see the lines from the vacuum cleaner. Like, I can't go to bed without lines. I like to know that my house is clean. Now, some of you are personally evaluating your own homes right now. That's between you and the Lord. I want to let you know that God is not a God of confusion. I used to walk into my children's room all the time, and I would say, God is not in this room. He has left this room. This room is disorderly, and God is not here. Amen? Amen. Now, those of you who didn't say amen, you've got some issues at your own personal home. But I love to have people over. I love to hang out with people. I love to fill the table with all kinds of food so that people will sit down at the table and talk a little bit. Now, I, like I said, I'm a little OCD, so sometimes I'll get up and I will clean people's... Like, they'll be eating their meat, and I'm like, okay, you're done, and I'm taking it to go clean it. But I love to sit around the table, and I love to put all kinds of food, and I need to let you know what my favorite food is. Variety. I love every kinds of food on the table. Don't just do tacos. Do tacos and do steak. Do steak and do chicken. Do Brazilian sausage. Do pizza. Put it all on the table. I'm a variety person because you never know who's going to like what. And someone may come with gluten. Freeness. You got to be careful with the glutens. And when people are coming over, we turn the lights on all inside the house, and we turn the lights on outside the house. We want to brighten it up. We want people to feel like we want you here. It's like when you drive up to our house, our house says, welcome. I mean, we just love to do that. We even light candles. (laughs) Those little scented candles, okay, especially in the bathroom. We light all those little candles, and I light candles all around the house because I like for people to walk in and they smell like, hmm, did you do an apple pie? No, it's a Yankee candle, but I'm glad that you smelled it. Like, I just like the aroma of welcoming guests. We really, I love Thursday nights. You know why? Because I love you, and I love to hang out with God's people. And there's a word for that in the Bible. The word for it in the Bible is the word koinonia. It's a Greek word. Now, forgive me for pulling out some Greek words today. Okay, I know it might be like tongues, but I promise to interpret these words for you. This word koinonia, well, you'll see it in the word in the uh, Bible in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and there's the word, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And I want to highlight that word in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The word is fellowship. But it's more than just hanging out. Koinonia has the idea of sharing life together in order to build each other up, to inspire each other. Let me tell you something. L.A. is rough. I mean, between traffic I mean, they just took down my favorite Chick-fil-A sign because a gang put their, like, logo all over the gang coming on the the 110, and they took down my Chick-fil-A sign. And now they were putting up a new Chick-fil-A sign tonight. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a second. Why would you spray paint my favorite sign? L.A.'s rough. Let me tell you something. That's why we want church to edify and to build you up coming into God's house so that you're inspired, so that you're loved on, so that you feel like you belong, so you're like you're coming over to Chet's house for dinner, but it's actually God's house, and I'm here. Amen. (laughs) It's the word koinonia. Now, you'll know koinonia when there's joy. You'll know koinonia. That's why uh, why I'm looking over. and There's there's joy in the house of the Lord. (laughs) It's like, are you serious? Come on. 
Let me tell you something. Koinonia, you're going to sense love. You're going to sense joy. You're going to sense peace. People are going to put up with each other. You're going to sense long-suffering and kindness and goodness. All the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you got koinonia, you got laughter. When you got koinonia, people are listening to you. They're not just going, hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, my name is Chet. I've had a really bad day. I didn't say great. No, they're really listening. And sometimes in koinonia, you might be crying with the person that's right next to you because there's understanding. With koinonia, you feel like you belong. You feel like you're loved. You feel like you're accepted. In fact, with koinonia, when someone walks in your home with that fresh-baked chocolate cake, there's clapping. It's like, oh, you brought my favorite dessert. Or if you walk into my home with artichoke dip or buffalo chicken dip, if you walk in my house with chicharrones. <laughs> and don't tell me that chicharrones does not go with chicken pot pie. I don't care if one's from the Midwest and one is from Mexico. It's variety. And everyone gets to enjoy. And even if you're gluten-free, you can eat chicharrones. That's koinonia. But let me tell you what koinonia is, isn't it? Koinonia, it's not where strife is. Koinonia doesn't exist with confusion. Koinonia doesn't exist with misunderstanding. You see, the reason why the church is so good at koinonia is because the church desires to reflect the heart of God. Let me explain. It's John chapter 1. You'll see it on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. Now pay attention to that word. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Speaking about Jesus. The Bible says he dwelt among us. Let me tell you why. God loves to hang out with people. He loves to hang out with people. Let me, t- let me read this for you in the New Living Translation. So the Word became human and made his home among us. Let me read it to you in the Message Virgin. Listen, I love this. The Word became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. I just love the fact that God loves to hang out with people. Let me tell you why. Because God loves people. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Take a look at the screen. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is God's goal for humanity to hang out with people for the rest of eternity. God loves people, and he loves to hang out. He wouldn't tell us to love people if he didn't love people himself. The very essence of the gospel is for God so loved the world. And who's the world made up of? People. He loves people. Now that word dwelt, I asked you to kind of keep a mental note of it for just a moment. It's an interesting word. That word dwelt is the word tent. Or, this word might be a little more familiar to you. The word tabernacle. And he tabernacled with us. Now remember, John is a Jewish person. And John is writing to prove the divinity of Christ in a Jewish world. And that's significant. Because as soon as... As John said, Jesus tabernacled with us. This is Old Testament language that God is using. Now, if you were Jewish and you read this, you knew exactly what John was referring to. Even the old, in the Old Testament, God loved to tabernacle, to hang out with people. Take a look. It's Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me. God is speaking to Moses. 
Let them make me a sanctuary that I may tabernacle, that I may dwell with them. Why? God loves to hang out with people. So he had the children of Israel make him a special little tent, special little tabernacle, where he would meet with certain people because he loves people. In fact, the tent or the tabernacle was called the tent of meeting. He set up a whole little tent just so that he could meet with human beings. Numbers chapter 2, verse 17. And the tabernacle of meeting, the tent of meeting, shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps. As they camp, so they shall move it out, everyone in his place, by their standards. Let me explain what God is saying. I want to meet with people. And I want you to put that tent in the center of the camp. Because I want when everyone wakes up in the morning and they come out of their tents, I want them to see my tent of meeting because I want them to be reminded I'm the center of their lives. God wanted the children of Israel to know, you're in my heart and I want to be in yours. That was the intention. Well, Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 1 confirms this truth. Remember, the writer of the book of Hebrews is highly familiar with the Old Testament. He's a scholar, in fact, of the Old Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 9, confirms this meeting place. Then indeed, even the first covenant and ordinances of, had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary or the tent of meeting. There were... There was a way to worship God, and there was a place to worship God. The first covenant even had a place where you could meet and worship God because God loves to hang out with people. However, we got to stop for just a minute and review a little bit of last week. We've got to stop to remember what the author is trying to prove. Now, I've underlined this verse in my Bible, and I want to encourage you to do the same. It's Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Look again. But now, speaking of Jesus, he's obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. Oh, if God wanted to hang out with people in the Old Testament, I wonder what it looks like hanging out with God in the New Covenant which was established on better promises. See, what the writer was saying is Jesus has a better ministry. We learned that last week. He is our great high priest who's in the heavens. He is interceding for us to God. He's our great high priest. He's got a better ministry than any high priest that ever lived on the face of the planet. He's on the order of Melchizedek, which means he's eternal. He has paid the price of sin with his own life. He gave his life for you. No high priest would ever do that, but Jesus did because he's our great high priest. But not only that, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. We learned that last week. He pointed out that even Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet knew about this new covenant and he told us about the new covenant in the old covenant, in the Old Testament. And what Jeremiah told us was this new covenant, if you remember, this new covenant's got better promises. You can have a personal relationship with God. Now remember, God loves to hang out with people. And what the new covenant affords us is this. We can hang out with God all the time. Because of Jesus, we have a personal invitation into God's throne room. Now when people come over to my house, you know the only people that go into my bedroom are my family? And I tell my children all the time, get out. This is my throne room. This is no place for you to go. One of them told me, when they were younger and we were studying this, um, um, they looked at me and they said to me, Dad, if God allows us in his throne room, why won't you allow us in not yours? Get out. Stop rebuking me with my own words. We get to hang out with God. And let me tell you something. 
Even though you come to my house, you're a guest, you will not just walk into my bedroom because you're not family. But you are family. And you should feel the freedom to walk anywhere in my home because God has opened up his home and says, come straight in to my throne room. Your family, you've got that opportunity. And because of Jesus, we have a personal invitation to God's house anytime we want. Now, I know as Americans, this is foreign to us. Because before you go over to someone's house, you call or you text. I'm coming over. You don't just show up. But in my culture, front porch culture, you show up. When I was living in Africa, I loved their culture. You just showed up and you would say, I'm here to spend time. Now, that two words was a very dangerous word. We had a young lady show up in our house. She goes, hi, Pastor Chen, I'm here to spend time. She stayed for three years. I'm not kidding. We ended up paying her school fees and got her through high school. So I asked her, when she graduated, I said, are you done spending time? Because the culture is when someone comes and says they're here to spend time, you never ask them to leave. Can you imagine the United States of America after the first two days? Dude, get out. Thank God that Jesus is a librarian. He never tells us to leave. No, let me explain. Spend time, man. I can come over whenever I wanted and stay as long as I want. It's just an always open invitation. I wonder what this new covenant affords us. Let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 9, now verse 2. For a tabernacle was prepared. God loves to hang out with people. The first part in which was a lampstand, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot, we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. The tabernacle, the tent that God made in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that was prepared in the Old Testament is simply a copy of the original. Remember we talked last week? Jesus is the OG. He is the original. And I, someone said that original means original gangster, and I don't want to assume that you think that. We learned last week that God told Moses... Make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That means there's an original. And God had directed Moses to follow the pattern that he had already set up in heaven. So you know what the tabernacle was? It was a Lego set. Tabernacle was a Lego set. My son, Timon, he loves Legos. And when he was younger, we used to buy the pattern of the real thing. So one time we bought a Mini Cooper Lego set. And he made, in fact, if you come into my house, and we'd love to have you, if you come into my house, you can walk right into his room, feel the free, your family, and you can see that Lego Mini Cooper. And I know 300 people are going to show up at my house tomorrow. God bless you. (laughs) You can walk right in. You can see this Mini Cooper Lego set. When, when Timon turned 16, a friend of ours let him borrow his real Mini Cooper. And Timon used the real Mini Cooper at 16 years old, driving back and forth to Costa Mesa to go to Calvary Chapel High School. He loved that Mini Cooper. And then one day the friend said, I need it back. Timon was depressed. So I thought I would comfort him and I said, son... I brought out the, the Lego Mini Cooper, and I said, you actually still have one. He looked at me and goes, are you serious? Like, really? Trust me, Timon preferred the real deal. 
You see, the original tabernacle is made by God, not man. The one that was there in the desert, a shoebox-sized-looking kind of box experience, was just a tabernacle of the real deal that was up in heaven. You see, the one in heaven, the one made by God, it's got no faults. It never cracks. I've got someone at my house right now, and you know, I don't know if you know this about San Pedro, but we are always moving. Like, it's San Pedro is just always moving, and my house lets me know. Cracks here, cracks there, cracks here, crack there, crack everywhere, crack, crack. I mean, it is like, I got cracks everywhere all over my house. And we're constantly patching these cracks. I've got cement walls coming off like the whole deal because we're constantly moving. Let me tell you something about God's house. No cracks. No painter, no contractor ever has to come in and go, let me fix that. Because God made it. Let me tell you something else about God's house. Do you know we bought a carpet cleaner? You know why? Some of you need your feet washed by Jesus. Amen? In my house, you take the shoes off and then you come walking in. But some of you, you just walk in the mud and then you just kind of walk in like this. This is God's house. So guess what? We had to buy a carpet cleaner. You know why? Because when you're on earth, buildings need maintenance. God's house don't need maintenance. It's perfect now. It's been perfect since he made it. It will be perfect for eternity. It's the original. God's house is made by God, not by man. Let me tell you something about construction. They say duct tape and caulk fixes everything. God doesn't have duct tape or caulk because everything he makes is absolutely perfect. So this week, we're going to learn that the tabernacle and its contents are symbolic as a pattern. Look with me if you would, Hebrews chapter 9, now verse 7. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this. So the Holy Spirit is letting us know what the real intention was, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. It was symbolic, speaking of the first tabernacle, For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Stop there, if you would, for just a moment. You see, what he is letting us know there in verse 9, it was symbolic. The tabernacle that was a pattern on earth was a symbol pointing to the real deal. Now, I told you I was going to pull out a couple of Greek words. Forgive me for just a moment. This word symbol in Hebrews 9.9 is the word parabole. Well, that should ring a bell for some of us because it's the English word parable. It's the English word parable. That's important. Because what the tabernacle was was an earthly illustration of a heavenly truth. And the Holy Spirit is letting us know that the tabernacle was to reveal to us that no one could hang out with God in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies except for one person one time a year. It was to show us God wanted to hang out, but something was keeping us from hanging out with God. Now, while the writer doesn't take the time to explain these symbols... I want to take a moment to, in our heart and minds, just make our little tabernacle Lego set, if you would. There were two rooms in the tabernacle. Take a look at the screen. There was the place that was called the sanctuary or the holy place. And then there was a place called the holy of holies. Um, This is, oh, it's not up there. Okay, this is the diagram, if you're paying attention, if you're listening, I know you're paying attention. This is the diagram of the tabernacle, if you want to put it up, if you have it. So, the holy place, or the sanctuary, was where you would walk in from the east side. In the back, on the west side, would be the 
holiest of all places, and it was divided by a curtain. You couldn't get into the holiest of all places because it was a curtain that was blocking. Inside the sanctuary, the first part, there were three furnishings. One was a lampstand. I need to let you know something about tabernacle. There were no windows to provide any light. No windows. The only light that allowed people to see in the darkness of the tabernacle was the menorah, was this lampstand. And this lampstand, was the oil was never to run out because God always wanted the, Israels to, the Israelites to know the light is on. The light's on. I want to hang out with you. You ever been driving by Krispy Kreme? You ever, come on. How many of you have turned around when you see the light is on? To me, it's like the glory, it's like a reminder of Jesus, the light's on. And I turn around and I go to Krispy Kreme and I look at that little donut and I tell the person, well, Jesus loves you because I know he caused you to make this donut. The light is on, it says, come on in. When the lights are off, it says, you're not welcome. Unfortunately, and fortunately, we're here for harvest on the big, forgive me for the word, Halloween day. But San Pedro is nuts for Halloween. I mean, you should see some of the houses. They're already starting the whole process. It's unbelievable. When you drive through my neighborhood, it's like this is the bigger than Christmas almost. I can't believe it. So kids will come to our neighborhood, but the problem is we turn the lights off Because we want them to know you're not welcome. (laughs) No, here's what I mean. We're not home. So you know what my wife does? She puts a box out front with candy in it. And I tell her all the time, one kid in San Pedro is going to walk right by that thing, put the whole thing in there. I'm turning the lights off. I would rather them know you're not welcome than they see a sign, take some candy, and there's none. So let me explain something. When the light is on, God's letting the people know, I want to hang out. Come on in. You're welcome. Did not Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? In John chapter 8, verse 12. Do you know what Jesus' invitation is? Forever the light is on. Come on in. Come on over. I'm inviting you in. The other piece of furnishing was the table and the showbread. Now, God always had the table spread with 12 loaves. 12 loaves. Six Six on one side, six on the other. They represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And every Sabbath... The priest would come in, they would remove the uh, 12 loaves that were there, they would replace with 12 new fresh hot loaves, and then they would take the 12 loaves that they've replaced and they would go and eat those loaves. You know why? God was inviting them to enjoy a meal together. It was God's way of saying, I love to hang out. He wanted to remind them that his presence is what was sustaining them in the wilderness. Did not Jesus say, I am the bread of life? In John chapter 6, verse 35. You see, when we receive Jesus, when we internalize him as our Savior, his presence comes into us and sustains us for an eternity. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. But then right before you're to walk into the holiest of all places, right there in front was the altar of incense. Right outside the curtains. And there was a special incense that was just smelling up the entire sanctuary as you would walk inside. You see, God lit the aroma candles to make us feel welcome, to invite us in, to make us feel like you have prepared for me. 
You want me to talk to you. You want me to be in communion with you. David, understanding exactly what this meant. In Psalm chapter 141, verse 2, he says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Revelation in chapter 5, verse 8, would also confirm that our prayers, our communication, our communion with God. Is it there? Let's go there. Revelation, I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 5. Sorry, I didn't tell you that, um, to go to Revelation, but I want you to see this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I want when you walk in my home, when you take a... For you to go, they want me here. They prepared. They want to sit down. And have a wholesome, hearty, loving conversation. And as Jesus is the bread of life, and as Jesus is the light of the world, does not Jesus promise to offer up his prayer to the Father for us to intercede on our behalf continually? It's Romans chapter 8. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He is offering up incense to the Lord on our behalf. Now, let me tell you why that's such a great, great thing for me. Told you before, I was almost engaged to a girl called Laura. She broke up with me. Devastated. (laughs) I was devastated. And I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want to marry this girl. Could you just please change her mind? Lord, I need to marry Laura. Probably shouldn't have said her name. And this is what Jesus did on my behalf. Father, he has no idea about Andrea. He's really praying for her. He just doesn't know her name, and he's misidentified her. So let me just say, would you just watch over Andrea? Would you just keep her? Would you God bless him. He has no idea what he's saying. Laura's not for him. Andrea's for him. He just hasn't met her yet. Thank God Jesus is interceding for me. Now, the next room is you passed into the curtains only one time a year. It was the holiest of all. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on top of it was the mercy seat. Now, let me tell you something. It was the only seat in the building. That's important. There was no other place to sit because the tabernacle was always a symbol that this is temporary. That's all this is. This is just a temporary symbol. So I don't want you sitting down in here and getting comfortable. The only seat here is for God. And while God wanted to hang out with people, some people were prevented from, uh, something prevented everyone from taking part. Look back with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared... The priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Now, performing the services, this is religious duties. They were doing their job. And only the priest, only the Levitical priest could enter as representatives of the people. The people didn't even want to go inside because they were afraid. So the Levites would go inside and they would do the religious duties. In other words, they went in because they had to, not because they wanted to. And while God wanted to hang, while God wanted to spend time, they just thought this is a responsibility. I got to do this. That's not a relationship. That's a religion. That's like 
going to a wedding only because they're family and you have no desire to go. That's like being forced to go to church on Christmas and Easter. That's like making church a religious activity of something that you just do instead of being inspired and inspiring others. Anything can become a religious routine. Even, there's joy in the house of the Lord. God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. And then the next slide. We shout out your prayer. We shout out your prayer. Think of what we're singing. Anything can become a religious routine. Stand up, sit down, kneel. I mean, we can do the religious thing well. We've got to be careful that we don't follow suit and become just as religious as something that we do because we're Christian instead of being inspired and inspiring others. So he says only the Levites were able to come, but into the second part, verse 7, The high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. Only one person could go into the next area, the high priest. Only the high priest could go into the holiest of all once a year, and it was known as the Day of Atonement. But I need you to know, even though this was a huge celebration in Israel, It wasn't like Christmas. It wasn't like something you look forward to. If you were the high priest, it wasn't like, Woo, I get to go into the holies of holies today. That was not the deal. Because you didn't know if you were going to come out or not. See, they had to sacrifice a lamb for themselves and for the people before they walked in. A lamb had to die in order for that guy to cross into that curtain. Can you imagine? He even had a little special robe. I told you last week, with little jingle jingles all on the bottom. And the reason there were bells all on the bottom, because as he was stepping in, and there was any sin that he had not covered over with the death of that lamb, dead. You be the high priest. (laughs) it's Eli's turn this week God bless you we'll be praying we're out here celebrating but you go on into the Holy of Holies you big guy you you can do it I mean think of what it took the night before as you're prepping to go into the presence of God I know this is hard for us to imagine because it's not like coming to a worship night at Calvary Chapel South Bay You just drive up in your car, you walk right in, and boom, you are in the presence of God. Let me tell you what the Day of Atonement was for the high priest. He didn't know if he should prepare his funeral the night before. He put all of his affairs into order. He didn't know what was going to happen. He had to wear bells on his robe. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. God wanted to hang out with people, but he couldn't. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. There was an issue in the high priest's conscience or in his heart concerning only with foods and drinks and various washings, fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. Now, I know when you're reading this, we're not Jewish, so we're not quite grasping everything that he's trying to get across. Let me explain for just a moment. The Holy Spirit, he's basically using everything about the tabernacle, even its service, to let us know something. While God wants to hang out with you, There was an issue in the conscience when he made the invitation. It was keeping us from the invitation. Something in the conscience was wrong. And no ceremony, no washings of the hands, no food that you ate or you didn't eat could purify you 
enough to come into God's presence because you had to be perfect. The invitation was there. But human beings were chained to a wall of sin, unable to attend the house. Symbols were there just to point toward what was to come. That we would have an opportunity to hang out with God all the time. God was invoking through the tabernacle a symbol to say, you can't hang out with me now, but I want to hang out with you. Because we needed to be cleaned on the inside. Because sin was reigning in our body. We needed a total change of heart. That's why Jeremiah says, we need a new covenant. And only Jesus could offer that kind of cleaning. So, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of this text. Take a look what he says in verse 11. But Christ, here we go. But Christ as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, he's kind of demeaning it just slightly, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse you your conscience or your insides from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of his death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Let me tell you what the writer is saying. Jesus walked into the presence of God, not with the blood of a goat. He walked into the presence of God with his own blood once and for all. And while the goat and the calf purified Just the flesh, the outside, covered over them. He purified our conscience. He purified our spirit. Jesus dealt with the internal problem of sin. And he cut the chain to the wall of sin to allow us to accept the invitation that he offers us. And because of Christ's blood, the only thing that stops us from hanging out with God is our rejection of the invitation. That's what he did for us. And once we receive him, and we eat from the bread of life, there's a couple things for us to consider. We have an eternal opportunity to do what God has always wanted to do, hang out. Look what he says in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, there's an eternal redemption. Let me tell you what he says. He has eternally paid the ransom of your sin. He's eternally paid it. Eternally, and he's eternally paid the ransom of every sin. Not just some sins. He's eternally paid. You, no matter where you run, you can run into God's mercy. No matter how far you run away, you will always run into the eternality of God's mercy. Let me express to you, he says, I've paid the ransom completely. But look at verse 14. He says, the eternal spirit. Eternal spirit. You know what that means? We've been sealed, not by the temporary spirit, but by the eternal spirit for an eternity. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 15, I love this, the eternal inheritance. In other words, the gift that God gave us called heaven, no one can take it away from us. We get to hang out with God for an eternity. Uh, Let me tell you what else we have. We also have an eternal opportunity to serve the living God. Now that's important to the Jewish person. 
Because remember, only the Levites could go in and only the high priest could serve God one time a year in the Holy of Holies. I know for us, 2,000 years of church history, this was not a big deal, but for the Jew, this was huge. Not everyone could enter the tabernacle to serve, or better yet, to worship God. I know this is foreign to us, because we can go into the throne room anytime we want. We can go into the throne room at church. We can go to the throne room in our home. I mean, you can go to the throne room in your car. All you have to do is call upon the eternal spirit and we can worship God anywhere we are in spirit and in truth. The location doesn't matter because as soon as we begin to worship, we're in the presence hanging out with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And no matter where you go, to the height of a mountain, to the depth of a valley, no matter where you are, you cannot run from God's spirit. Jesus afforded us the privilege to hang out with God wherever we are. Now, think of the inheritance that we have because of Jesus. Think of that inheritance. Jesus said he gives us as an inheritance an abundant life. We get to hang out with God in this life. But he also gives us the inheritance of eternal life. We get to hang out with God for the rest of eternity. And God is so big, you will never get bored of trying to figure him out for an eternity. But in order to get this inheritance, I have some bad news. Someone had to die. You don't get the inheritance while the person's alive. It just makes logical common sense. So in Hebrews chapter 9, he explains this, verse 16. For where there is a testament, the ESV version says will. For where there is a testament or a will, there must also be a necessity, of necessity be the death of the person who made the will or the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead since it is no power at all while the testator lives. That just makes logical sense. Verse 18, Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Something had to die in order for God to be in relationship with people. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. In other words, in order for this covenant to go in effect, something had to die. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And look at this verse. And without shedding of blood, here's the truth of our faith, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness. This makes common sense. Wills don't go into effect unless the person dies. The writer is saying even the first covenant or the first will was given, something had to die. And what died was calves and goats. Let me explain. The old covenant provided an opportunity to hang out with God. God, through a covenant, said, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to hang out. I want us to be in relationship. And I want you to love me, and I want you to love each other. The old covenant provided an opportunity. The old will provided an opportunity for us to be in relationship with God. But there was a problem. Sin. And the penalty of sin designed by God is death. Now, can you imagine... God wants to hang out with people, but every time you sin, you got zapped by lightning and died. Think of it. You come out the womb, you cry, you're dead. I mean, it's like you're born into sin. So how can I hang out with people who I love, but I want to make this covenant with them? Something has to die. Because the penalty is death for sin. So what God did, because he loves us so much, 
he developed a sacrificial system of animals who would die in the place of humanity to cover over sin. That's why the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness of sin. Without paying the price of sin, there's no forgiveness. We can't have relationship unless sin is prayed for. You got to pay the fine. There's no way out. Sin forfeits our communion and our connection and our relationship with God. But this was only another symbol pointing to the fact that another death would have to happen. His name is Jesus. And what the writer wants to do as we close is give us three things that you need to know about Jesus. Let's take a look at the first one. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So God's requirement for earth was one thing, but his requirement to hang out with him for eternity was a whole other thing. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. No, no, no. He says here, he then would have to die, suffer once since the, excuse me, he then would have to, there we go. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And what the writer does is gives us three things about Jesus. The first is this. Jesus never went into the Holy of Holies on earth. He never went into the Holy of Holies, and that's a big deal. Because the one on earth was just a copy. It was just temporal. It was just symbolic. And Jesus is not a symbol. He's the real deal. So he never went into, besides... Jesus wouldn't be a part of a religion. He wanted to hang out. They had made it a religious duty, a religious performance. But Jesus would never have participated in that because he wants a relationship. He wants to hang out. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He wasn't even from the tribe of Levi. He wasn't allowed to go in, and he was the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Levi. See, remember, only Levites could enter into the tabernacle. And the high priest of the Levitical tribe, he was only allowed to go to the holiest of all with the blood of a lamb because he was sinful. But Jesus was the unblemished lamb of God. He was different. A different tribe. He was eternal because he was the, that's the requirement of the order of Melchizedek, that you are eternal. Jesus, when he walked into the presence of God in heaven, he didn't come with a lamb He came as the lamb himself and offered blood. Secondly, I want you to know something about Jesus. Jesus only had to die once because men can only die once. It's been appointed for man to die and to face judgment. So the Bible says. The high priest had to go back into the holiest of holies every year. The high priest couldn't put away sin, no matter what he did. He could only cover over sin, and then he'd have to go back in the following year. But Jesus, he was the unblemished lamb of God who would offer himself. He would die never to have to die again because he was a man. And men can only die once. Can't die over and over and over and over and over again. It's just not possible. Once you're dead, you're dead. Jesus is the unblemished Lamb of God. The Bible says who takes away the sins of the world. 
He didn't just cover over sins. He took sins away. He put away the sins of the world because he died, but he rose again. He conquered the penalty of sin, and only he can give eternal life. Now, there's something for us to consider in this fact that's appointed for man once to die. I got, are you ready for this? You have an appointment with death. Well, thanks, Pastor Chet. I brought a friend, and that is not what I was hoping you'd end with. It's true. Everyone have a dash. Every single one of us have a dash. We all have an appointment with death, and then we're going to face judgment. Now, when you face judgment, I wonder, does the blood of Jesus cover you, and will you be acquitted? Or will you pay the penalty of your own sin because you refuse the invitation to hang out with Jesus for an eternity? He wants to hang out with you so much, he sent a symbol for thousands of years to prove the point, I want to hang out with you, but sin is blocking you, so I sent my son so that you can hang out with me for eternity. Because I need to let you know something. I need to let you know something. This last verse there in Hebrews, he says this in chapter 9, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Let me tell you the third thing he's trying to let you know. Jesus is coming again. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean you're right. He's coming again. And let me tell you about the second coming. Nobody's going to kill him. In fact, no one killed him the first time. The Bible says he offered his own life. He said, no one takes it from me. I'm giving my life because I want to hang out with people for an eternity. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as a conquering king to take us who are eagerly waiting to hang out with him for an eternity. would you refuse that invitation after all he did to show you through a symbol then come and fulfill the original plan and die for you why would you refuse the invitation to hang out with God because let me tell you the other invitation it's from hell and the devil's invitation I just want to let you know, when you open it up, it goes, and it throws little sparks all over the place, and it says there's great food, and there's all, in fact, if you're Muslim, it says there's 70 virgins for you to just have an eternal wonderfulness. Oh, he makes hell look so great. Let's look at the other religions and what they offer in the afterlife. When you open up Jesus' invitation, it's carpenter. <laughs> Probably wrote it in crayon. It's just simple. It doesn't have the pizzazz. It's just, I died for you. I love you. I rose again. And I'm inviting you to hang out with me for eternity. It's that simple. So I know the devil's invitation's got the pizzazz. Oh, it's great. But it's a trick. And I know Jesus' invitation seems so simple, but it's the truth. Who will you hang out with for an eternity? Father, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I believe that you put on my heart to offer the gift of salvation tonight. I know it's a Thursday night, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that wants to accept the invitation of Jesus, that they will come forward right now and publicly.
publicly acclaim their faith in Christ. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Anna to just sing a song. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he's inviting you to hang out with him for eternity. He did all the hard work. All he's asking you to do is come forward and say, I believe. That's you tonight. You get up out of your seat. You come forward and receive Jesus as your Savior. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.